Hey, it's Craig. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Canadian History X early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Canadian History X. This episode is sponsored by the Town of Sundry. Today, I'm looking at the history of Sundry, a really cool community located in Alberta with a deep history that goes back over a century. As usual, when I look at town histories, I won't be going through a chronological look at the town, but rather, I'm going to be looking at various aspects of the town's history. So I hope you enjoy it. And of course, if you want to support the podcast, you can. Just go to patreon.com slash Canada EHX. The Indigenous For centuries, the land around Sundry would be used by the Stony, the Tsutsina, Cree, and the Blackfoot, as the 19th century began to dawn. As the years went on through that century, the Métis started to live in the area, becoming important pioneers whose families still live in the region to this day. The bison were the main reason for many of the indigenous to move through the area, but the Red Deer River also provided a way to move quickly through the region, while also providing a source of fresh water and fish for the indigenous. In the summer, the indigenous would come to the area to hunt deer, moose, and bison, while in the winter, they would often move into the mountains or farther south. In the community, there have been efforts to celebrate Indigenous history in the region. In June of 2019, the Sundry and District Historical Society organized a celebration of National Indigenous Peoples Day, which included showcasing the art and culture of the Indigenous, Métis, and Inuit. Located near Sundry, you will also find the Painted Warrior Education Centre, which is 100% Indigenous-owned and offers traditionally-based learning programs with a focus on the tourism industry. Staff at the facility provide Indigenous tour guides and operators for their partner companies, providing training programs that bring qualified Indigenous guides forward. Visiting Painted Warriors, people can go for a walk through the woods with a guide, eat traditional Indigenous foods, and even learn to shoot a bow and arrow. The Founding of the Community One of the first Europeans to be in the area was legendary explorer David Thompson, who came to the area of future Sundry in the late 1700s, during his explorations of the Canadian West. He is said to have described the area as Prairie on the Mountain. As with many places in the region of the province, settlers began to arrive in the area around the early 1900s. This was thanks to the Dominion Land Policy that offered free land to homesteaders. A settler only needed to request 160 acres for $10 and live on the land for five years initially in 1871 before that was lowered to three years a few years later. Through this system, 60 million acres were available and people in what would one day be sundry were happy to take advantage of this agreement. Eventually, the huge amount of affordable land would bring out enough people that there was a need for a postal service. Nels Hagen would be the first postmaster of the area beginning in 1906. Nels had initially immigrated out to the United States from Norway as a young man, and then settled in Canada. Arriving in the Sundry area, he bought land and the store owned by David McDougall, who was the son of George McDougall, who was a Methodist missionary that helped negotiate Treaty 6 and Treaty 7 between the Canadian government and the indigenous tribes of the prairies. While Nels was the postmaster for the community, there was no community yet, or really a post office. The post office would officially be established on December 15, 1909, and the name of Sundry was given to it. That name comes from Sondry, Norway, which means south in Norwegian. 
Nels was described as a kind man who could turn a dollar from anything, and it was in his home that the Great West Lumber Company men would meet to discuss business, and the Sundry Women's Institute would be organized. The loft of his home also served as the first boarding house and hotel for the community. Among the first group of settlers to come to the area were Arthur Fletcher and William Nidry and their families. They had come north from Morley in 1894 in search of water and green pastures and settled on the land near David McDougall. They would set up the Spruce Grove Ranch, and Arthur and William would actually have a huge impact on the entire area. They were known to be publicly spirited citizens of Sundry, and they would organize the first school district in the area called Eagle Valley in 1904. Thanks to the work of these men, a bridge called Nidru Bridge would be built. That bridge would eventually come down after a heavy rain nearly destroyed it. Nidri would actually serve as the Justice of the Peace of the area from 1906 to 1921, the year that he died. One interesting story of Nidri as Justice of the Peace comes from two men who were in a dispute over something, and one went after the other with an axe. A complaint was put forward and a charge of attempted murder was put in front of Nidri to assess. Nidri had his son head on a horse to summon a fellow Justice of the Peace, Sidney de Barathe, and he would assist in the case. Before the hearing, Nidri and Debarathy sat in a room together discussing the case. They then heard that the defendant had entered a guilty plea, and they again went back to confer. A fine of $10 was imposed, and the defendant said he could not pay that amount as his crops were just maturing. The decision was made that once harvest was completed, the man would pay his fine. In 1910, a telephone line connected the community to the growing world of communication, with residents paying $30 for each installation of a phone. A decent amount for the time. One of the first places to be connected was the store of Nels Hagen. In 1919, a library was in the growing community and a hotel was built and Sundry was on its way. The Sundry East School would open in 1919 out of the Ralston House by Jesse McDowell and the children of Sundry would attend the school until 1929 when the Sundry School would open. The Sundry East School would operate until 1940 when enrollment began to fall. The school would close for the next few years, and after the Second World War, it would move to the village of Sundry to be added to the growing complex of school buildings in the community. In 1929, a proper school was opened in Sundry itself, with Catherine Grant serving as the first teacher. Frank Lowe would teach there from 1935 to 1936, becoming the first male teacher at the school. Known for being a talented violinist and boxer, he was always happy to teach both to anyone who was interested. By the 1950s, Sundry was dealing with a boom thanks to the lumber and oil industry, helping it reach village status in 1950. Within six years, the community was a town and had seen its population grow from 300 to over 1,000. Here's Museum Executive Director Jamie Marr. I mean, Sundry's history is pretty unique because the town of Sundry itself um, didn't come in, into place until 1907 formally. Uh, prior to that, though a lot of the district areas were, were populated. Mm -hmm. And so when Hagen purchased the land, about 8,000 acres of land from McDougall, that's when he gave it the official name. Um, so 1907 would be approximately the more formal founding of Sundry, but it was occupied by the McDougall family um, in the mid to late 1800s and ran mostly as a, a postal, or sorry, a, a general store trading post. The Cowboy Trail Within the area of Sundry, you will see a lot of talk and mention on signs of the Cowboy Trail. Thanks to the broad area grasslands, the mild climate and the abundance of wildlife, 
The trail along the foothills of the Rocky Mountains attracted many ranchers and cowboys, who would drive their herds up from southern Alberta to central and northern Alberta. The first ranching families would begin to settle in the territory in the 1880s as the land transferred from being rolling grasslands into cattle country. The trails that the ranchers and cowboys would take up along the foothills would eventually form into a gravel road and then a paved road that ran from Cardston to Marathorpe, right through the community of Sundry. Here's Museum Executive Director Jamie Marr. The Cowboy Trail is a literal um, paved highway. It's also a, a, a tourism association, I believe. But I, I believe it starts down in Pincher Creek and it moves north up to Edmonton. Uh, it's known as the Cowboy Trail. It is the Highway 22. And I know Sundry, we are on that Cowboy Trail. And we had to fight. The town of Sundry had to actually fight to get the highway into our community, to move through our community. Originally, it was going to bypass our community. And so there's a, there's a short little section of highway, Highway 27, shout out to the 27, um, where you have to get off the 22. It's a really great scenic drive. Um, you get to see a lot of cowboy country. There's a lot of point of interest sites. And uh, it's been used by a lot of fundraising groups. I know we had the, what was this called? The Ride to Conquer Cancer mm -hmm. and the Pinkest Town in the West. Um, a lot of people like to use the Cowboy Trail. Bikers, if you're a motorcycle uh, lover, uh, definitely they use the Cowboy Trail to head west to get a burger out in the Bearberry. I'd like to take a break away from the episode for a second to talk about ExploreNet. I spent most of my life living in rural areas in Canada, and I remember the days of dial-up internet and spotty high-speed service. For the past three years, I have been a customer of ExploreNet, and I can honestly say that it is the best rural internet I have ever had. My job as a podcaster means I spend a lot of time researching online, interviewing people over Zoom, and uploading content. Through it all, ExploreNet has provided me with excellent service. When I'm not working, I enjoy streaming content on several streaming platforms and even doing some online gaming with a friend in Ontario. ExploreNet allows me to do all of that with ease. Right now, they offer up to 50 megabits per second on their new LTE network with unlimited data. Their service has only become faster and better since I first signed on. Today and beyond, ExploreNet is investing in building and upgrading the network at a rapid pace. ExploreNet is rural, and that is their route, and that is their focus. For more information about rural internet options in your area, go to ExploreNet.com or call 1-866-285-2253. The Sundry and District Museum Anyone who listens to this podcast knows that I love local museums, and every museum is unique in small towns. In Sundry, you have the Sundry and District Museum, which allows you to learn about the people and things that made Sundry the community that it is today. On the four-acre museum grounds, you will find a pioneer village that includes eight heritage buildings that you can wander through and explore. The pioneer village was once the original Sundry Museum, but is now one of three exhibit spaces. Along with the eight buildings, there is an area dedicated to farm machinery and implements, a tractor and wagon display, and a wonderful green space that is perfect for a nice picnic. The buildings on the property include a ranger station, a schoolhouse, a ferryman house, a trapper's cabin, a chapel, and more. 
The museum also features the Mural Project, which is an ongoing project that brings local artists and the museum together to depict the history of Sundry in collage form. Each 4 foot by 8 foot sheet is sponsored by someone or something in the community, and all show the history of the community from the arrival of the ranchers on the Cowboy Trail, to the indigenous, to the early settlers who called the community home. Another interesting project is the fence panel project at the museum. The metal fence is being created by Ken Sandor of Sundry, and it allows interested families to purchase a section of fence and decide what they want on the panels when it comes to pictures and names. The fence is becoming an excellent look at the history of the community in the surrounding area, told by the families who have lived here for over the past century. Another very unique part of the museum is the fact that you can explore the world of wildlife. In this exhibit, you can see a large floor-to-ceiling landscape mural by a local artist that spans the room and provides a great environment to see the 170 animal mounts from around the world, including a life-sized replica elephant. The exhibit was donated by Chester Molchness, who grew up near Sundry and was an avid hunter who traveled around the world, hunting on every continent other than South Africa and Antarctica. It was Chester's wish to show his collection of trophy animals to the general public. Here's Museum Executive Director Jamie Marr. The um, is run by a volunteer nonprofit board. Uh, they started in 1967, and their hope was to just preserve the heritage of its community and its people. Um, it started as a piece of land. We had the Bergen Schoolhouse moved onto a piece of land and that was the museum initially and since then it has grown uh, we now occupy four acres of land we have three exhibit spaces the pioneer village the reception gallery and then the world of wildlife so we have grown quite a bit since that time expect to be um expect the unexpected actually so because the museum has been run by a lot of volunteers um, Marketing hasn't really played a huge role in the museum life. So a lot of people aren't expecting what they get when they come here. So you're going to be greeted by a volunteer at the front desk. Um, you will work your way around our, our reception gallery. And that we've got a bunch of permanent exhibits in there. Um, we've recently just redone the space thanks to COVID-19. Um, that gave me a little bit of... of time to reconfigure the space. And then of course the gallery moves you into the world of wildlife with, which is a, a unique taxidermy exhibit that you're, you don't have to go into if you're not comfortable. Um, and then of course, then we encourage you to go outside into the pioneer village. So I've seen, you know, a quick visit um, is about, if you're going in specifically for one reason, one exhibit space, um, then you know half an hour to an hour um, but I've, I typically see people in there for at least two hours to get all three exhibit spaces in. Um, inside the museum we have the original Bergen schoolhouse, we have the original um, Garrington ferryman's house, we also have uh, the Red Deer uh, Ranger Station, Red Deer River Ranger Station, and um, an Eaton's house. You actually get to see an original Eaton's house um, that was in the Bergen area. We do have a number of 
you know, original pioneering sites, I would say they're, they've been reconfigured to be something else, but we've got the original creamery, which, which is known as Zim's. Uh, we have the first doctor's house still here, the original United Church. Bergen Rocks International Sculpture Garden. One of the really unique parts of the Sundry area is the Bergen Rocks International Sculpture Garden. This is a unique art experience for people traveling through the area, and the sculpture park is well worth a visit. Artist Morton Burke had visited a sculpture symposium and felt that the resulting artwork could be something that Canadians and Albertans could enjoy. For the next five years, he worked on his idea and then started a sculpture park on his own rural property. Over time, this park would grow and sculptures by artists from Vietnam, Germany, Thailand, India, China, Turkey, Korea, Mongolia, Iran, Ireland, Kenya, Cuba, Italy, and Canada are now housed at this park. The park is located just south of Sundry, and the giant works of marble art are actually quite amazing and well worth a visit. Myron Thompson Communities all over the province have famous individuals who have called the community home. In Sundry, there is one individual who led a life that was quite interesting to say the least. Myron Thompson was born in Monte Vista, Colorado, where he grew up and excelled at baseball. As a catcher, he was given the chance to try out for the position with the New York Yankees, but unfortunately didn't make the team. At the time, the Yankees had another catcher who was doing, well, a pretty good job, and his name was Yogi Berra. One interesting fact about Thompson is that he would meet President George W. Bush years later, and upon hearing about the tryout, Bush was able to guess what position Thompson had played just by looking at his hands. After serving in the U.S. Army from 1958 to 1960, he would move to Canada in 1968 and became a Canadian citizen in 1974. He would work as a teacher and high school principal and become the mayor of Sundry from 1974 to 1980. In 1993, he was elected to the House of Commons as a member of the Reform Party and was known to wear a cowboy hat to Parliament, and he lobbied unsuccessfully to wear it on the floor of the Commons. Thompson would serve until 2008 when he decided to step down from Parliament after the 2008 election, and Thompson would pass away on January 5, 2019, at the age of 82. The new health unit in the community will also have his name. Russ Greenwood no episode about Sundry would be complete without talking about Russ Greenwood, one of the most unique individuals to ever call the community home. Russ was born to parents who came out west from Waterloo, Ontario at the turn of the century and settled in more in Alberta. Raising cattle and operating a butcher shop there, Russ was one child of nine, the third born, and would attend White Rose School near his home. Most of the boys of the family would go on to become ranchers and radio participants, but Russ would become the most well-known on the radio circuit for his abilities with animals of all sorts. Marie Noble described meeting Russ soon after her and her husband moved to Sundry. Sundry at the time had no sidewalks in the 1950s, and Noble would walk on the street where her footing was better. That was when she saw a man riding a horse with a coyote perched on its withers. That man was Russ Greenwood. Children in the 1950s also remember Russ and his ponies named Rabbit, Beaver, sometimes called Little Beaver, and Golden Laddie, along with his goat and his dog. And it's said they were all trained to do his bidding, as were his bison and steers. The Calgary Stampede certainly would not have been the same without Russ. 
his Buffalo and Scottish Highland steer would feature in several stampede parades and at the grandstand shows. His animals didn't just delight people in Calgary, but all over Alberta and the West, where he was often seen at parades and rodeos through the years. The Greenwood Community Gazebo and Sundry is named for him, as is the campground that it's situated in. Sundry features a diverse economy centered in forestry, oil and gas, the public sector, and tourism. Today, Sundry serves a trade area population of about 8,000 people in the foothills of Alberta, which swells to 12,000 during the summer months. It's a modernizing community replete with kilometers of hiking and biking trails, thousands of campsites, and opportunities for outdoor adventure. Sundry is set apart from the other communities in this area. Um, well, primarily geographically, we, we straddle the Red Deer River, and so we are part of Treaty 6 and Treaty 7 territories, um, which, is, which is a really unique position to be in um, as we continue to grow. Um, we are not the popular kid on the block, so we are not part of that Calgary-Edmonton carriage uh, trail. Um, to get to Sundry, people had to disembark from the train. We're not a train community. Uh, in the town of Olds, and then you had to come to us on foot, on horse, on carriage, or later uh, through the car, the, the Model T. Mm -hmm. And it really was the West Country. It was un unpopulated primarily, and, and it was a, a transient sort of uh, missionary land, I guess. Mm -hmm. So we're unique in that we have about 15 different districts that we call our, um, our sort of our service area. Sundry, I feel like, would be Michael Bain's like town. We <laughs> are known for floods and fires. I think if you Google the town of Sundry, you will get UFO stories. <laughs> I mean, we have it all here. Definitely, our our hunters have some amazing uh, stories of the big of the big trophies um, out out by the Panther. We had the uh, 1967, I believe. There was a number three world record elk uh, taken there. We had a gentleman that built a plane in his living room, uh, our rodeo. I mean, we have Andre Pro Rodeo, which is one month older than the Calgary Stampede. <laughs> and so, you know, in order to get to that Calgary Stampede, you have to come through Sundry. And we have, you know, the original rodeo grounds and the hospital grounds, the blacktop days when our first center street was paved. I hope you enjoyed that look at the history of Sundry, and if you did, please leave a rating and review. You can reach me at craig at canadaehx.ca. You can find hundreds of articles on Canada's history, as well as all my podcast episodes on my website, www.canadaehx.ca. And again, you can support the podcast by going through Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash canadaehx. Just like all of these wonderful patrons have. Aaron O'Hara, Robert Dunseith, Todd Casey, Catherine Roy. Luke S., Vic Hedges, J.P. Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, Spencer M., and Iris Gray. Thanks, and we'll see you again next time.